uh, he was the director of the boys' activities at the Pine Street YMCA. So I had a chance to meet him there. And then I had a chance to meet uh, attorney David Grant when I would go to the NAACP meetings. And he became the president of the uh, NAACP. And so I was, after my mother had been on the executive committee uh, for some time, I don't know how I got nominated to that executive committee. It may have been because I gave such strong support to Mr. Wheeler on the American, you know, and just mm -hmm. just demonstrating and getting it on and helping groups to picket because picketing isn't easy. And uh, if you cannot get people to picket, of course, one or two can picket. And I have participated recently in uh, some picket lines, but um, it's helpful if you can enlarge your activity by getting more people involved because then they can communicate with their uh, peers and so on. So even, anyway, though it, even though it seems obvious, I'm going to ask the question, why isn't picketing easy? Because it may interfere with some of your regular activities. It may not interfere with your employment because Mr. Wheeler only called us for Saturday. But when you are in school, a college student in school, and you have library research to do and so forth like that, the one day you can do extended research is Saturday. Or uh, if you're busy in church activities too, and I, up until recently I've always been very active in the church too, well, uh, it may, you may have church commitments on Saturday to get ready for Sunday and so So you on. had to give things up. Yes, you have to give things up and I was active in the sorority and so forth, but I didn't ever have to give that up because it was just about one, one Saturday a month in the evening. Did you ever say no to Mr. Wheeler? No, I don't think I did. Because? Well, I thought that was important. And I thought it was important for people, if they had the money to be admitted to the American, I thought that was the American way, that whatever is the requirement, if you can meet that requirement, then uh, it shouldn't be superficial because of the color or the of content, uh, you know, the texture of your, your hair or something like that. And I knew that was false because I had had the uh, enriched kind of learning experience, studying plays, reading plays, participating in dramatic things, that I could appreciate the productions at the American. And when I had gone on some vacation trips to other places that were not discriminatory in the East, um, I always attended the legitimate theater and I couldn't understand that because that was restricting my refinement, you know, exposure to the, the uh, so you were used to, on trips, going and being allowed to Yes. So what was it like here when you began to be able to do it here? It was wonderful. I, I didn't aspire to go to those, those cities necessarily for those activities. Like, no. you could go to Chicago, and my parents had friends in Chicago, and adult friends that we could visit. And uh, so I would go there, and I had many wonderful experiences in the theater there and my mother uh, sister my maternal aunt lived in Brooklyn New York and if I would visit there then I had all of the 
world of the theater and the other fine uh, recreational uh, places that were accessible. So what was it? But what was it like here when you were able to go to places that you hadn't been before? Oh, that was just like opening up another arena, not just for me, but for everybody. I always think, well, not only just for me personally, but that this benefits other people too. Now, I know this, this is a question that, that you can only answer in, in your way, but let's suppose about the other people. Uh, did people flock to go? Were they timid? Uh, were they frightened? How did it work? Well, I think it worked that if the production had black actors and actresses, then many more blacks were uh, attracted to attend and felt the production. Yes, uh -huh. when it, uh, or it had an interracial cast. It didn't have to be all black, but if there were some blacks appearing there. But I think gradually they came to accept it as a big thing, and uh, so they went because they felt this was an amusement and a cultural outlet that they could I think that's attend. I think that's true of people of your background. But I'm wondering about, of course, you can't answer the other, except that you can answer it much better than I, I can. People of uh, a lesser economic and lesser background. Well, most people like the theater. Um, you yeah. have to think it when the American. You're talking was about the theater, but I'm talking about um, I breaking down barriers. I remember somebody who who waited on me once uh, as a manicure, saying that she was getting up the nerve to go to Saks Fifth Avenue because obviously she felt concerned about her her going in there. Maybe not because of how people would be treating her, but just because of how she herself felt. So it may have taken you you had a lot of um, you had a lot of confidence because you had grown that way. Yes. But I'm I'm asking you to suppose about uh, people that you might have known that hadn't had your background what it was like for them. I guess I had never uh, thought about that except that uh, I knew that they were uh, perhaps limited in uh, perhaps they just hadn't had their horizons expanded as right. I had in my uh, family. That's right. So I'm wondering what it was like for people like that. I don't, I don't know because I, I guess I never did think that perspective. I thought it was just wonderful for everybody to be able to go if they could. But uh, we had all kinds of people in our church, all economic and uh, intellectual levels and so forth. But I, I don't recall anybody saying, oh, that's not for me. Well, they wouldn't, they, they may not say it. In other words, you, you could put your, you knew the right dress to put on and, and, and to go because you had already done that in the East and in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But for the other person uh, who may have had to go buy that dress, I can see by the expression on your, I wish the tape was portraying the expressions on your face right now because 
what, what do they mean? The expressions that I'm seeing, what does it mean? What are you thinking of? You asked that question, but I had never What it was like for the others. For the others. I'll have to find him, one of the others. <laughs> uh, difficult, I would, I would feel, I would think. Difficult. Uh, all right. Um, so I want so to name some other people with whom I uh, okay. came in contact. Um, let's see, uh, Miss uh, Ruth Maddie Wheeler. Of course, she's deceased now, but... Um, Is that Henry's wife? No, that was his daughter. Oh, oh, uh -huh. oh, she's deceased. Yeah, she is oh, too, okay. unfortunately. She died in this about three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, it seems as though, see, Dean McNeil of the uh, Brotherhood had a secretary, and I'm trying to think of her name. Uh, Ollie Miller was Ollie Miller. Now she didn't do too much active uh, participation in the protest, but there was another lady. Here, I've got them right here. It. I found my notes. Not only Pro Maddox and your mother, Audie Roberts, but Bertie Bill Anderson. Anderson. Yes, right. who was a part of the uh, Bill funeral director. Mm -hmm. But she's deceased too. That's uh -huh. unfortunate. Then many of the people of the forties, uh, who were uh, the main leaders, are all uh, deceased. You see, um, I started out, and I was active, but I started out at a younger age than most people in doing these uh, things because I was always. Uh, being carried along by my parents and so forth. And so some of these are in another generation. Mm -hmm. right. And they are uh, deceased now. And I'm trying to think of some who are uh, All right, well, let's, let me, let's move on. With and let, let me name a few others. So when my mother was no longer a member of the executive committee, I think I was elected to be on the executive mm -hmm. committee. Uh, and it was with, uh, under Dave Grant's uh, leadership as a president or something. I don't know how that happened. He was pretty special. Oh, remarkable, remarkable. Brilliant, aggressive, had dignity, everyone in every respect. Sort of called a spade a spade. Didn't yes, you? that's right. He was very uh, direct mm -hmm. and insightful, and uh, I felt that he knew that he was equal to anybody that he would ever encounter, and therefore he did not have to uh, uh, apologize or operate on a very special uh, soft shoe level. He could just uh, articulate mm -hmm. the issues and identify the historical uh, supporting data and so forth, and uh, it was very uh, effective. And, 
In fact, all of the presidents of the NAACP were strong in their particular areas, but some had uh, different approaches, but they were still strong leaders. Did you set your, all right, so I want to stay with you, because <laughs> you're the main one. Um, you, you were on the executive committee, and uh, um, were, were those, those were planning, those were yes. goal-oriented? Yes, um, and uh, you see, um, as I said, many people don't understand the uh, organization operates on the committee, has a committee structure. And so the major issues involved in race relations have a direct tie-in with the activities of some subcommittees. And so there's the Labor and Industry Committee in the Constitution and the Bylaws, the Education Committee, the Legal Redress uh, Committee, uh, the Health Committee. Of course, the Health Committee has come in later years. Uh, the po uh, political action committee, uh, economic development committee. We have many more now than we had then. But each of these then represented a structure of people who had some objectives and goals and particularities that they wanted to express themselves. The housing committee, of course, uh, for better housing and fair housing and so on. And uh, much of the uh, progress has evolved from a legal standpoint through the courts. But on the other hand, there are other ways too, and so that's the reason I was talking about the demonstrations and the uh, picketing and so forth. So um, under another gentleman, attorney Robert L. Witherspoon, I served on the executive committee, but when I was elected, I think I was elected because I had been so supportive of Mr. Wheeler. Wheeler. And uh, then I had been active a long time in, uh, with my mother because uh, the NACP is one of the few black organizations that is membership oriented. And the people actually have to have memberships to belong to the NACP. And my mother was an outstanding, prominent membership solicitor. And I guess that's how she became a member of the executive committee. And then I was a sort of sub-team under her team, and so we made a mother and daughter's a oh. specialty of soliciting people from all walks of life to join the NACP, so and we were high producers, you know, mm -hmm. numerically, and that's the way you get the basic funds. Of course, you have special fundraising drives, too. But this, when the NACP says it has this many members, it actually has this number, and uh, that means that they're all behind whatever program has been recommended by the executive committee because it's explored in depth and uh, to give legitimacy and the historic uh, trends and the sociological and the did, economic. And did you have a specialty? Background. Well, as an educator, then my uh, specialty, uh, other than memberships, was with uh, the Education Committee. So that was the first committee that I ever chaired as an executive, was with uh, when, Re uh, when Attorney Robert L. Witherspoon was the president. He asked me to serve as the chair of the Education Committee. 
and now one what, of our prop. Just before you start, tell me, tell me what year we are around. Uh, let's see. I get. I know we must have been in the uh, mid '40s. Okay, good then. enough. That's good enough. And uh, one of our first big projects that met with overwhelming success, we invited uh, Martin Luther King here as the speaker. My. And he came, Dr. Martin Luther King. So I think we were the first group that sponsored him. It was at the Washington Tabernacle Church on uh, Washington and Compton. And the, the, the response of the people was overwhelming. Just complete rafters, balcony everywhere. And uh, he made an impact on this city. And uh, You're talking about the 40s? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That was his first one. <coughs> Appearance here in St. Louis, excuse me. And later he was invited to the temple in Israel to give a lecture. And I think he was invited by another group. Were you involved with Rabbi Israel? Well, I knew of him. That's the uh, temple I Yes, to. I know. Yes. Uh, and I had attended some services there. I think one time for Black History Week, uh, I was invited to speak to the youth group there on some black mm -hmm. personalities and so forth. Yeah, I think he was very involved. Yes. Uh, um, okay, tell me, um, do you want to do you want to talk any more about Martin Luther King? Oh, well, he was just a phenomenal person, but um, it, this opened up new um, dimensions of the operation of the NAACP, even in St. Louis and the state. You mean by having him here? By having him, because it opened up the floodgates where maybe many people could come to that public meeting who weren't necessarily members. Uh -huh. And then it would increase and enhance the yeah. organization for them to want to take out a membership and so forth. And so uh, during the, the parties, yes, uh, I think that and a little bit later under Mr. Ernest Calloway's leadership, we achieved uh, our highest, uh, you know, a peak in memberships up to that time mm -hmm. and so forth. So uh, <coughs> that was one thing that the education committee had Well, you must have been done. very pleased. I was very honored. really pleased with that. <laughs> now, most people won't even remember that I was chairman of the education <laughs> committee at that time. But it's significant to, uh, is the fact well, that maybe the, we'll put it down. NAACP, so. uh, of course, initiated uh, the housing suit was first. One of the major suits that attacked discrimination in the uh, public sector and then the edu desegregation of the schools. Mm -hmm. The suit for the desegregation of schools in St. Louis came in the uh, late 40s, early 50s. And uh, the Supreme Court decision that we won on the desegregation of schools in part was uh, an important uh, issue and uh, it changed the face of education here in part. And uh, surprisingly enough, 
I, I won't say that I was constantly working toward that, but you see, I had been employed as a teacher in the black uh, segregated schools as soon as I graduated from Stowe mm -hmm. Teachers College and uh, in the elementary school. And then after I received my master's, which I uh, received from Columbia University in New York in speech, I applied for a transfer to the secondary uh, division of the public schools. And that's when I uh, was assigned to the Bashar High School, which was the second new black, new black high school. But it wasn't so new then. It had been in existence. See, that was in the 40s. And it had been in existence since either late 20s or early 30s. But nevertheless, uh, it, I had graduated from Sumner, but I was assigned to uh, Bashan. And, but I was at Bashan when the desegregation came. And uh, for some reason or other, I don't think they decided to, in the St. Louis schools to start at the first grade and then go to the second and third like that. The school board here made the determination that they would uh, eliminate the discrimination in the secondary level and the college level before they would move to eliminate it in the elementary school. So I was one of the teachers recruited to be transferred to the Soldan High School on the basis of the fact that they wanted to integrate the faculty along with the students. How was that? Well, it, it was a positive experience. It wasn't as uh, devastating as one might think. But to me, it was a revelation in so many different ways that people couldn't understand. As long as I had taught at the uh, Bashan High School, I seldom had a class in English uh, with fewer than 30 students, 30 students now, for the 50-minute period. And as long as I taught at the Soldan High School, I seldom had a class in English in the same categories that I was teaching on literature and so forth. Over 20. You know what this means in a 50-minute class? If you have 30 students in a 50-minute class, even if you give each one of them equal chance, they get only a minute and a half of your time. If you have 20 or less in the same time frame, they almost get double the time, if, if you think of it being prorated that way. Or the, even in a discussion, you can get around a class of 15 or 20 in the 50-minute period, and everybody has a chance to get in the act. It's very difficult if you're having discussion and you have 30, 35, or larger classes for all of them to participate if it's a teacher total class. Now, of course, I know I've used every kind of instructional methodology possible because I've been in education and studied all my life in some kind of university setting and something. But it's just the psychology that the time frame is that whites always had many more opportunities, even though the Board of Education insisted. And I, I observed this for myself. Another thing is, 
textbooks, older textbooks, even though they were the same, published by the same publisher, were always transferred to the black schools, and the newer editions were always in the white schools. And I observed that for myself, because the minute I went to the uh, Soldan High School, I saw the same publisher, but it was a newer edition, or it was an expansion, or we had many more types of materials with which to work that we didn't have over there in the Bashan. And yet the caliber of faculty represented the same because some of the finest people were teaching at those black schools in yes. terms of their academic right. education so because they come from all over the nation. And they couldn't get jobs in other places so they had. But would you say that the caliber of, of the black teachers was probably higher than those are the white. Or in many instances. Or they had a spread and a breadth. Diversity brings about richness, you know, not yes. all the same. Yes. I'm not saying that there isn't any, that, that Washington University and St. Louis University aren't fine institutions, but if some of those people have never traveled, whites, have never traveled to other regions of the nation, and I've always been busy trying to get outside of St. Louis because I grew up here. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for my graduate study, I especially chose not to study in St. Louis because it was discriminatory. When I first applied for my master's, I wasn't, they weren't open. St. Louis U and Washington U weren't open. So I went to live with my maternal aunt in Brooklyn and matriculated, that was like the next to home, and then matriculated uptown to the Columbia University campus, and this opened up horizons for me in uh, many different ways. So I was always seeking to, uh, you know, expand. Okay. Uh, um. when, when my mother went to the Urban League, she was in community relations as a, a organizer of community outlet programs with the neighborhood block units mm -hmm. as a professional. And so she had Mrs. Harriet Williams. My mother was in Area B that was in the bill. And she had, and then uh, Miss Harriet Williams, I think was in Area D, which was in one of the downtown areas, and Mrs. Beatrice Hurt, who was the wife of the uh, former wife of Dr. Hurt. James, uh, I don't know what it was. He had a son. They had a son named James Hurt, but Doctor Hurt. H U R T or D. H U R T, and uh, but I think they had been divorced. But Mrs. B Hurt was the director of Area A, which was in the area south of um, Easton, moving back toward Enright and Delmar and so on, and. Uh, so they, in their, sometimes the Urban League, though it used a different approach, mm -hmm. um, would be supportive in terms of the issues that were facing all blacks and so forth, encouraging in terms of desegregation of schools and so on. And so some of those area leaders could exercise uh, and encourage people to understand the issues and to be supportive of them. Then the black churches did a great deal too. You know, mm -hmm. And then you had your politics. It seems yes. like 
Was there much um, overlapping? Did people work well together, like the Urban League? Of course, yes. And then you had mm -hmm. CORE coming in? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, how did people view CORE? Well, they considered that they were a little more militant than uh, the other groups. But I don't, I don't know that they were, I guess. It's just as they were perceived. Mm -hmm. Marion Olden was the one who became active in the NAACP. Uh, Marion, let's see, what was her? O'Fallon. O'Fallon. Olden. She was active in the NAACP. And uh, Ernest Calloway and Deverne Calloway's wife. Mary was also active in core. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me see. What happened to core? I think it just uh, disintegrated because the national leadership was eliminated. And I've gotten out of there. What happened? Were there? He went into some other kind of uh, operation. I think he took on some kind of job with the federal government, with the public. Now, well, let's let's go back to the to your area. Um, were you happy at Soldan? Yes, I um, I enjoyed uh, Soldan. And they put black students in there also? Oh, it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It seems as though, for me, I've, I've never had to look for a job. It seems as though some, something always opened up. And I don't know why. How about because you're capable? Maybe so. But, uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, some people have gone to ask for jobs or ask for promotions. I don't think I've ever asked for a promotion, mm -hmm. but seemingly opportunities have come. So while at uh, Soldan, I was asked to serve as chair of the uh, English department. And of course, you know, principals are, are the main authority in the secondary schools, generally speaking. And so they have an opportunity to accept or reject so a person. A white principal yes. asked you to be yes. uh -huh. out of that department. Yes. How did that go with um, other people? I think, well, it happened when the chairman of the department either retired or she died, who was white. You had no problem with white teachers? No, I didn't have any. Well, I I had experience in graduate school and um, experience. Uh, when I ask these questions, it, it's not a. It's not, no, 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 no. Understand carefully what I'm trying to say. When I ask these questions, it's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on. Or not even a reflection, it's an observation of how other people were. Oh yes, well I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because you see um, 
Unfortunately, I'm perceptive in some ways, and then in other ways, I'm not. And it grows back. Your parents who always supported, always supported me and what was positive and worthwhile and nurtured me in my uh, creative or energizing activities of the intellect and the cultural and aesthetic phases of life. That I, I never get bogged down with the people who are ignoring me are the people who are trying to discriminate against me because I'm up here operating intellectually and aesthetically on a higher plane and I don't see but you, some of the negative but you aspects. understand why I'm asking. I'm yes, asking I do, and I'm going to give you an to incident get, To of get that. a background of yes. what was going on at and, this time. And you just okay. prompted something that happened because Good. the first <laughs> day that I appeared, oh, I have to say, when everybody was congratulating me and Bashan for having been transferred to uh, Soldan because they selected teachers from all of the high schools in the different divisions and I was the only one in English that was selected. And um, so I went to Mr. Mosley who was the president, uh, who was the principal of Bashan and I said privately to him, I said, Mr. Mosley, I want you to understand that I appreciate your leadership and your fine administration and so forth. And it's been a pleasure for me to serve you. And I want you to understand this. Some people in the black group believe that black people don't work as diligently and persistently and as creatively for black administrators as they will for whites who are in authority over them in any kind of employment or any kind of uh, work situation. But I want you to understand that at Bashan, I have given my best to this job. And I question whether any other administrator will receive from me any more support in a faculty administrative relationship than I have given to your administration, he said. I said, I want you to understand that because I want you to know that I appreciate this, but I would have also been appreciative of remaining here. But I will accept the uh, transfer. He said, I know that, Ms. Roberts, that's why we uh, sent you, uh, because we felt that you would do a fine job and so forth. And surely enough, that's what I've always done whenever I have gone. So now the first day I went in there, I you always introduce yourself to the office staff in the outer office of the secretary high school. No matter how many offices they have, you have to meet the secretaries first. So when I walked in, I uh, was prepared to say, um, my name is Mr. Roberts and I'm a transferee from Deshaun High School to the Soldan. I had something for identification, but this was a white secretary, and of course it didn't matter to me because I'd been in offices where white secretaries worked before and so on. That lady absolutely walked away from me. She could not stand to have, I don't know whether the other teachers had arrived, black teachers had arrived ahead of me or not. I didn't even query that, but she absolutely walked away. And I said, 
I was really aghast because I thought they had had some orientation that they could at least be civil. Mm -hmm. I didn't have much to do with her as a secretary. I, right. I really needed to meet uh, the administrator in charge of uh, uh, the faculty and the curriculum. Mm -hmm. But you have to speak with the secretary first. And of course, I addressed as neatly as I could and so forth. Well, that was, that was so that that prepared me to accept the negative and to understand that though I was ready, some other people were that's, ready. That's what I was trying to And this that. prepared me for whatever encounters I would have with students or with other administrators or with my peers in on the faculty. So after that, I was reserved to an extent, but I was always willing to cooperate when it didn't compromise my standards and the goals or the educational Thank you for remembering so that. Forth. <laughs> I appreciate, well, I appreciate you remembering that. Now, let me ask you about students. Yes. Um, because students come from homes. And homes that's right. Homes uh, breed all kinds of different people, as you know. Now, this is interesting. I never did perceive that any one of those students was hostile to me because of my black face. Now, they may have been, but that's where I say, in some ways, my parents prepared a cushion of a shelter for me so that when people are negative, I try to try to understand why they are that way and then forget all about that, especially when my objectives and my goals and my uh, intentions have been honorable and suited and appropriate for whatever the situation was. So that I never did have any more hostility or resistance from the white students than I had from some black students uh, when I was in the all black high school. Uh, this is way off the <laughs> get back, I, but while I'm thinking of it, do you happen to have a, a picture of uh, Martin Luther King when he was here at that time? No, because um, we left things with the office, and the office has moved and relocated over the years. Uh -huh. And I imagine they have. Uh, see if you can track that down. All right, that I'll be, see. That would be really mm -hmm. um, Okay, I I want to get back to the NAACP and Evelyn Roberts, and you were head of that committee, and then. Oh, and another. What? What? I want to get to the fact that you were president. Oh, that that came. That didn't come in the fifties. I became the president in the sixties. Okay. Then in we'll, the turbulent sixties. In the turbulent sixties. <laughs> I'll be probably talking to you next year about the turbulent sixties. Well, that, that's a whole different phase. Okay. Well, I'm still rice, but I I have held nearly every other office. Okay. Let, let's stay within. I within was what uh, we're supposed to be. chairman of the Freedom Fund team. The what? The Freedom Fund team, which was a team oh, to a attract the people and raise extra funds for the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the NAACP to support their uh, litigation because the membership of $10 would never support the litigation and the costly other operations that the NAACP has to undertake. 
And so we have special fundraising projects at different times of the year to augment our funds because, uh, and so this freedom tea was a very important tea. And I'll tell you, and I haven't even thought about it except that I, it was while I was at the Soldane High School and I was named the chairman of that tea. And I think the principal, so they had about three or four principals while I was there, uh, was uh, Dr. Clark. Of course, I've always had good rapport with my uh, administrators, and so I felt that I could uh, invite them to come and be a part of the community, and he was curious and he wanted to. So he came to the tea, and then after he saw all the people that we had, it, they were just crowded into it. I think we were able to have it at the uh, Temple Israel Community Center or something, because I was near Soldan, you know, and so on. And ooh, the people were just crowded in there. They had beautiful tables, and they were acting with dignity, you know, not parsers or anything. And my principal saw that, former principal, and the next thing I knew, he was offering me a position to apply for an opening. Dr. Dreer, Herman Dreer, was uh, insisting that they have more fac black faculty at the Harris Teachers College, and they didn't have too many and so forth. And so quietly, he suggested that uh, Is this I they apply. had combined the, the yes. And uh, so I uh, said, well, I, he said, you're qualified, why don't you apply for it? Well, I didn't have my doctorate at the time and so forth. He said, oh, they have many teachers over there who don't have their doctorate. Um, but uh, you should apply. Well, I hadn't even thought about that. But anyway, the president who had been formerly the principal at Seoul Dan, or talk to me and encouraged me to apply too. And so I did. And then they recruited me as a member of the Harris Teachers College faculty in English department. So things did come to you. Yes, but no, I have hard work. Yes, and I and I don't think it was necessarily because I was in the NACP, though it did seem as though I was able to mobilize the community on positive yes. factors and so forth, but I was prepared to meet the challenge because I kept studying in the summer and advancing well, you, my you, uh, education you, you that were, way. You were, you, know. you, were, you were ready and you were able. Yes. And you were there and, and you were and and so a lot of people. When was the first uh, black uh, principal solo? I forgot when the first black principal was sold there. Once I got to Harris, I was removed from immediate day-to-day -day When did you go to, to Harris? I guess it was in 60, was it 61? What aren't we talking about that you would like to talk about? Uh, between the 40s and 50s. What, if I ask you to sum up the important things or to... Well, more people became involved. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was when we had the growth of the uh, 
the the membership to several thousand rather than you know the hundreds and the, a few thousand. And this was under the uh, the presidency of Mr. Ca um, Ernest Callaway, who's the labor director, uh, AFL CIO, and uh, Vern Callaway. And uh, that's when when he I changed from the uh, education committee that had spearheaded the background for the school case. Mm -hmm. And then he said, I mean, you, you know a lot of people. I want you to be chairman of the membership committee under his uh, leadership. And so I uh, became chairman of the leadership, uh, membership committee. But all along the way, I had served in different categories as assistant secretary and executive committee member and later in the 60s I became the treasurer and then the president. So there was... A so I was gradually, yeah, in both in my uh, professional career and in the NAACP and in community groups, you know, just mm -hmm. moving along uh, being things because now the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority to which I belong, I was um, I was elected the president of the undergraduate chapter at Stowe, and then when I graduated, it was uh, shortly thereafter I was elected the president of the graduate chapter, and they said I was the youngest uh, a woman who had been president of the women's graduate chapter in St. Louis, you know. So, but I never ha have campaigned for things like that. It just seemed well, as though some other people. You were willing. I was to willing to cooperate and support mm -hmm. other people. And I guess they said, well, she has potential. So it looked as though somebody was always offering something to me. Uh, what angered yeah. What angered you ever the most? Let me see. <laughs> Oh, I have to tell you an incident about that. I I don't know that I've ever become infuriated. Oh, I'm I I keep that to myself. You at sure home. do. I can I'm doing my best to find out something. <laughs> but uh, when Lyndon Johnson was president, uh, uh, yes, yeah. he had this uh, civil rights conference in Washington, and. Uh, at that time, I had been recruited as one of the founding faculty for the junior college district. So I left Harris and, and went to the junior college district as one of the founding faculty for the community college here in St. Louis, in St. Louis County. And uh, so I said, well, I'm a new faculty person. I don't believe uh, I can go to that. And somebody said, you mean you want to turn out an invitation to the president because they had come from him? And I went to, uh, so I said, well, I guess I'll have to ask for a leave to go. But that, uh, that's another thing. Through thick and thin, cold weather, hot weather, sickness or distress, almost even a death, I've never missed this. I've always been there. I've always been there on time, ahead of time, and so on, and, you know. 100%, 200% if, if you can count it. So anyway, some of us were sitting in a cafeteria at lunch and up there in Washington, D.C. And uh, I've got some of the people. One fellow said, it's about the happiest 
civil rights group right here I've ever seen. Evelyn, I know you've had some struggle back there in St. Louis because I've been reading about all that agitation and this, that, and the other. But we were up there enjoying uh, to fulfill these rights, you know, and the mm -hmm. eclipse of the president having summoned us to Washington, D.C. And so I said, you can't even turn that invitation down back here. You know, I was just going to say, well, I have to teach my class and no. so forth. But I filed that application for a leave, and it was granted. And, I, you know, so I went on. But it's really interesting. Uh, I was offered, they had, we're going to have 10 members of the founding faculty of the St. Louis Community College, and one in English and one in uh, psychology, history, and you know, so I'm like that. And so I was one of the two blacks who were recruited as the founding faculty for the St. Louis Community College here when it was first mm -hmm. uh, and, um, established. And again, I hadn't even thought about applying for that, but somebody said, why don't you apply for that? And that was Dr. Clark, who had been my principal at also uh, Harris, mm -hmm. the president there. You apply. I said, oh, I haven't thought about it. He <laughs> said, well, you ought to apply. <laughs> so I went, to, I went to the office and filed an application for it. And was I surprised when I got this uh, invitation? To well, you've obviously proved yourself in many areas. <laughs> Tell me about the social part. I have a feeling that the, I know the 30s, though I don't want to go back to it, but I know that the, there must have been a, a great deal of social life uh, for Negroes in, in that time. Well, it stemmed around, excuse me, the organizations that they had some in the 30s and the 40s, 50s, and even now. Much of the social life related to the Greek letter organizations. There are eight, four women's groups, sororities, and four fraternities that are what you call college-based, and you have to be matriculating in a college or a university where they have an established chapter to be admitted. But Harris, and well, Stowe before Harris had one, and so I was invited to participate in the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority, which is the oldest black um, women's sorority. Of course, we have an integrated uh, membership now. There are a few whites, um, but primarily their, their membership is uh, black-oriented. And so they have also uh, a fine social activity. So many of the social activities that I participated in were related to the Greek letter organizations based at my college and uh, out in the community. Now the same thing is true of other organizations like uh, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Many of them have had uh, maybe periodically uh, a fall or a winter or summer social event, picnic and so on. And Was that prestigious? I guess it would be in a way, and then there are some independent men's groups, like... Uh, I mean the Brotherhood of Sleeping Cut Quarters? Yes, because uh, prestigious in the way that these men who had these positions had secured jobs with 
in the height of the depression, the railroad industry was thriving, and so many of them had better incomes mm -hmm. than even some of the practicing or early uh, professional people mm -hmm. until they had uh, established themselves. And the same maybe with the postal clerks along. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so it just mattered about where some of your close friends were and your contacts as to uh, what kind of social life you had. I don't think there were too many that were totally inclusive of everything. My image of St. Louis is that it's not hard and fast, that is the black population, that some are excluded. It depends upon their interests. There are enough organizations operating here that people can become identified with some. Now, some may have been excluded from one or another, or, but uh, generally, they've had some categories of study, reading groups, and there's several of them. I belong to one called the Book Lovers. I think it's about the oldest. I was going to say that. It's uh -huh. a very old. Yes. But then they've had the Arsenio Williams Reading Club and then some other reading groups that have developed since then because everybody can't belong to everything. And so as a result, uh, they've had different goals. And But centered on with whatever is a major interest. And let's see what else. Oh. I belong to a club also that uh, is called uh, the Informal Danes, and uh, it's an old club too, but my mother, my sister was invited to be a member of that, and then uh, my mother, I guess, joined about that time, but I was so busy traveling around or studying somewhere that I, I didn't uh, join that until sometime later. Um, and so, but the, what I'm saying is that there are many, the firefight, the firemen, you know, may have an annual affair, so uh, social affair, or the police men are, they're used but, to have a very... that came later. Yes, yeah. and they used to have a very exclusive detective wives club are for the black detectives mm -hmm. on the police force of the city. Now, I don't know whether some of that has grown, is no longer mm -hmm. prevalent because, because of they're of integration, yeah. uh, that sometimes some of those have become uh, less active and so on. Some good things, well, we know that good things came from integration, but some things were lost through integration too, weren't they? Probably so, but if for the mainstream, I think that uh, more was gained, uh, okay, yes, obviously, definitely. yes, so uh, I, I can't it. even, I can't even begin to, uh, I'm, I'm sure that, that they had some of the detachment that people have in the modern society comes from that, and it may come from, uh, detachment from what? The detachment from the center of uh, either the church or the mm -hmm. center of the Y, or the center of the YW or the YM, because now they tell me the yuppies who are in these real upper class, middle class, uh, you know, executives in large corporations, they don't even relate to some of their own relatives and so on, you know, who are not in that category now. 
you've heard about that. And but that's not that's not true of only blacks. No, no, I'm <laughs> sure I'm sure it isn't. Ellen, um, how do you feel? How did you feel about the term black being used? Were you more comfortable with Negro? Were you more comfortable with black? Do you think that that's a uh, an advancement? I never did think about it too much, but um, I guess whatever people understand by the term, it at least puts it in the context of the races of the world. Mm -hmm. We don't, we have um, the red race and the white race and the yellow race and black race so that for whatever reason they wanted that, fine. Um, however, if they're trying to identify with the origins and the roots of the racial group, then maybe they have to say Afro-American mm -hmm. instead of um, black. Because what they were trying to clarify for, by that hasn't been fully clarified because they tell me in some Spanish speaking, Companies, uh, countries, South America and otherwise, there's a very, very dark, black, dark Span Spanish-speaking people, as well as some of the light ones, or <laughs> French the same, because of the intermixture. So they have to understand when they're reading or writing why they're using it, mm -hmm. rather than which I don't think many people have fully explore the significance of the change or the context in which they can use it. So when I wrote my book, I told them that it was uh, very much in this study, Negro, Afro, and Black will have similar connotations. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> give me the title of your book. American Please. Literature and the Arts, Including Black Expression. And you wrote that? I had it published in 1977. It and it was been very exciting. directed we toward the uh, content of, uh, the chain of, of the shape of literature and uh, the teaching of it and the structuring of it. When did you become involved Oh, incidentally, I've just recently had an article uh, except for a national textbook. Oh, wonderful. I think you were telling American me on the phone. Yes, the that's national the one. Council of Teacher of English, is that the No, uh, this is with the... Uh, Writing national textbooks. Uh, uh, well, I... Study. Yes, there was this... Uh, I don't, I, I don't know who's in charge of it. I think Heathcote Company probably is going to publish it, but um, I was communicating with a professor at Haverford College, and she was directing it to Professor Lautier, who's located somewhere else. But anyway, they accepted my article, <laughs> and I received the uh, confirmation that it was being sent. But. I really had to work on that too, you know. Is that is that what we were waiting for? Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, good. Because I had to do far more research, although I had written an article about this uh, writer for um, 
a course up in Columbia, you I needed to update some of the research beyond the time when I had submitted it as a you know, paper. And so I had to restructure it to a deal. But nevertheless, it was rewarding. Uh, when did you begin to be um, part of uh, integrated civic organizations? Well, um, I have never, I've been members of many, but there is such a thing as overkill or in terms of exhausting and spreading yourself too thin. And so other than belonging to the uh, YWCA and uh, the YMCA, along the way I was even the, one of the first women that was the, elected to the the uh, board of directors of the Page Park, which uh, followed the Pine Street wide, Mr. Cook asked me and another lady to be women on his board to keep it from being all male Man. board. So <laughs> I've been blazing trails, uh, but yeah. working in different dimensions of the community, I guess that's because I never did marry or didn't have any children, and so I felt that uh, I could I owed the community well, had what time. had uh, yes shared so richly with me and so uh, I uh, I worked with the YMCA for quite a while and so forth but uh, I think the the first one besides the national groups that were professional in nature uh, it was I guess after I, we started integration in the schools. Mm -hmm. Then uh, first I was in the uh, black teachers organization, teachers, St. Louis, uh, what did they call them? And it was black and then when they integrated the membership of the Missouri teachers of English into one mm -hmm. rather than two separate groups then of course I've always been uh, loyal to the profession and I've enrolled as a member mm -hmm. and I started going to the it was first the Greater St. Louis Teachers Association and then uh, it's now the St. Louis Teachers Association I don't know the names of it but anyway <laughs> I went to the meetings and I was elected a, Correspondent secretary, then vice president, and so on. It's the Greater St. Louis English Teachers Association. I think that's what it's called. And uh, so I served on their executive committee. Uh, may I ask you? Uh, now you said when? I guess that was uh, shortly after. I was in one organization when I was at the Harris. Teachers College, and then they converged from just a city group to a city county mm -hmm. alliance. And so then, when I was recruited in the community college, I just joined that one. And then finally, they had me on the executive committee uh, representing the community college. And then later, I was elected corresponding secretary, and then later. Vice uh, President. I don't want to miss anything, and I want to go 
back. You know, and then <laughs> Does I that think, answer I think, that question? Yes, yes, and then I think we can finish up. Okay. Um, besides the uh, uh, American, you know, were you involved in sit-ins per se? I just, I just wanted to feel that I had not missed anything in that area. No. What